You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Meddahl, reminding you you can follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB, like us on Facebook, or go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes. And also a reminder to go ahead and follow The Summit, brand new home for women's basketball, at Summit Hoops with the two T's in honor of Pat, of course. Uh, We are covering the range and the wonderful world of women's basketball, college, pro, international, high school, and beyond. And somebody who's done all of that and more is with me this morning uh, talking at a very early time from uh, (laughs) sunny California. Is it sunny California? It is this morning, yes. Uh, Living up to to the stereotype of California, I'm here in rainy New York. Well, Michelle Smith, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be with me. Hey, thank you very much for asking. So we could do like a whole show on 80 different topics that are going on, Kelsey Plum among them, but we have a, a, a very different idea for this morning. And the conversation, there's been sort of this meta conversation around the WNBA, particularly lately. Uh, and I think Kelsey Plum's game actually has a lot to do with it. And it's the question of comparing uh, WNBA players to NBA players and comparing uh, NCAA women's players' uh, comps to men. And so I want to sort of lay out the way I've been thinking about it. So I've been really obsessing over it for a while and talking to a lot of people and trying to figure it out, not just because I think it's very interesting, uh, and I think it gets to a lot of touch points about the state of women's basketball, the coverage of women's basketball, but also just real-world ramifications in terms of, look, I'm editing uh, a piece at the summit and trying to figure out what makes sense. So the the big picture I see is this. Uh, I'm, I'm going to lay it out, and then, uh, Michelle, I, I want to hear what your thinking is, big picture about it, and we'll sort of get into it from there. Uh, okay. my, my thinking, as far as what the goals are, I think the long-term goals for media, for basketball as a whole, is an even playing field. I I recognize we are far from that. But an even playing field where half the time we're talking about women's basketball, half the time we're talking about men's basketball, and I don't mean you and me, because for us it's a different (laughs) question. I mean the media as a whole, sports media. And I see that conversation in the ideal flowing two ways. I, I see it as one basketball. And and I say that even, you know, Brianna Stewart's been really eloquent on this. Kelsey was really interesting about it as well, talking about comparing women to women. And that that is absolutely valid and makes a lot of sense. There's also the reality that they both watch men's basketball too. And there are so many people in the world of men's basketball who watch women's basketball. You know, I remember speaking to Kevin Durant last year, talking in depth about about Stewart's game. And the fact that there's, I I think it's hard to separate. I think it's hard to say, you know, that there are these two separate basketballs, because I do think it's one basketball. And I think it's, that is, I think, what we should be moving toward. Um, I think the pros for it are, there's a familiarity for fans beyond the hardcore fan who was already watching and following women's basketball. Now, I've inquired about just how much that overlap is, because I think that's a key question. How um, how many fans of the WNBA follow the NBA and vice versa? So there was a research uh, piece done uh, by Simmons Research, and they determined that 92% of WNBA fans 
watch the NBA. So that's a tremendous overlap. Now, I spoke to a person at a team who has polled their season ticket holders, and the number was somewhere between 5 and 8% consider themselves to be fans of the NBA as well. So there's the opposite of consensus on this, and, and that's really hard because that's your basis. That's trying to figure right. out you know, how you're trying to expand that. I think another pro is that it is a recognition of the ways women's basketball has grown. And uh, there was a, a, a conference call with LaChina Robinson and Rebecca Lobo a couple weeks ago, and they both spoke about this, about the fact that it's a recognition that there are players who are doing things that have not been done before in the women's game. And, you know, Brianna Stewart's a great example of this, where, quite frankly, I don't think there's a comp. I don't think there's a comp in the women's game. I think if you really stretch offensively, you could say, all right, she's a combination of Elena Deladon and a lot of what Lauren Jackson did uh, in terms of, you know, her post game. But defensively, I, I, there's never been someone six foot five who gets into passing lanes and is also a rim protector and does all of those things at once. So I think there's a positive that comes with that. And then the last pro that I see is specificity. That if you have a women's player whose stat line is, let's say, 60% similar to a women's player who came before her, but is 90% similar to a, uh, a men's player that came before her, I think that's useful. And quite frankly, to my mind, it's useful in both directions in much the same way that I've been doing NBA stuff. And Laurie Markkinen, I don't think, has a good comp to anyone who's come before him in the NBA. But Emma Meesman is absolutely the right comp for Laurie Markkinen's game at Arizona at this point. So I, I think, again, that goes back to it working both ways. Now, there are two big cons that I see, uh, and they're really significant. One of them is, to get to what we were talking about before, we are a long way from anything 50-50. And so what we're, you know, anytime you bring an NBA player into a comp with a WNBA player, it's bringing more men's basketball into what's already a small space. So women's basketball right. has this, this like tiny slice of the media pie, and now you're saying, all right, let's bring Steph Curry into it. Uh, and, and I could see that being frustrating. I could see that being limiting. And it's fraught with the history, which is the second part of it, which is that women's sports has so often been this afterthought. And when it comes up, it, it has to come up only in relation to a man. And so when that is the way it has been framed for decades, it, it is emotionally fraught. It is a frustrating thing. And then it, it's simple math. that if, if that pie is not going to expand, then we're taking away and we're limiting not only the player at the moment, but also being able to honor the history of the women's game, which is significant and, and uh, is filled with great stars, both known and, quite frankly, many who are relatively unknown because of the lack of coverage. So I'm really at a loss here. I, this is and no secret to anyone who's, who knows what I'm trying to do, which is I'm trying to expand the coverage. I'm trying to maximize it, but I'm also trying to make it as good as it possibly can be. And so I'm curious. I'm talking to everyone and anyone I can, and I, I, I just haven't come to any sort of thought about how I'm even handling this, and I quite frankly expect that to continue to evolve. But tell me, you are thinking about it. I'm really curious, what are your thoughts, big picture? So I've come at this conversation less about 
statistical comparisons and things as I have at this sort of concept of validation versus organic appreciation. Hmm. I And I think it speaks more to what your second, you know, sort of the second part of your point. I am, I guess my level of frustration is lies in whether or not women's basketball needs the endorsement of men's basketball or men's basketball players to validate it with fans, to give it value. Mm-hmm. And so my source of frustration has been watching, um, you know, for example, you know, if I'm going to start at a place for me in my own head. Last year, Draymond Green in an interview said, in an interview that was about Draymond Green, that he frequently watches WNBA basketball and has an appreciation for the game. And a lot of people responded really positively to that because I felt like that was an organic appreciation for women's basketball, the talent of women's players, the skill of women's players, and a lot of people responded really well. Now, I understand that we're, I'm in Warriors country, so we love Draymond Green, and I know that Draymond's not so popular other places. But, I mean, I think there was sort of a general orga- understanding that this was a <clears throat> organic, legitimate appreciation for women's basketball. I think there are players out there, men's players, NBA players, who have an organic appreciation for these athletes, their female counterparts, who they know the work they put in, they know the, they know the skill they have, but, but there ends up being sometimes what I think ends up being what I'll call sort of this arranged marriage concept, where you are going to place a man in the women's space to validate their game. Right. And that bothers me. It bugs me. It, frankly, it's, I struggled with having the um, young man from Washington in the Marshall WNBA Foles. draft. Yeah. And part of that, yes. I struggled with that. And and not because I thought there were poor intentions there, mm-hmm. but because of what message that it sends. That, you know, and then on top of it, he was sort of trying to be cheeky about Kelsey and their buddies and whatever. But it was just, you know, it's it's an interesting idea for me. And I know that the WNBA seeks out its NBA players mm-hmm. and uses them for commercials and things and wants to help grow the game by telling NBA fans, it's okay for you to like the WNBA because LeBron does. It's okay for you to like the WNBA because Kobe does. And I have a hard time reconciling that idea. Well, that sure. can, I, can I ask you about that? It's going to take somebody like that. Well, yeah. can I, like specifically to the Martell Fault situation, for one. So let's say Kelsey is at the NBA draft in a couple of months. And that is done. Would that ever happen? In about, Would that well, ever happen? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It, there's there's a question of should it and how does this happen, right? And so if we are approaching it in such a way that the NBA is, and the NBA, it comes and goes in terms of how much it embraces the W and how much it does for the W. But there's been, certainly Adam, has, uh, Adam Silver has talked about doing more, number one. And number two, it seems like an easy win because, all right, the NBA draft is happening. Here's Kelsey Plum, and you're literally in season for the W. So, again, right. I guess, again, it goes back to, like, is the problem that here's a man in the women's space or is the problem that it is not equal and do we want to be striving for both I, I, and and so I guess the question I would ask is are we better off with Martel Fultz at the WNBA draft and Kelsey Plum at the NBA draft or are we better off with neither one 
at the other. I would argue the former is better. But what do you think? I would argue the former is better if the former comes to pass. Right. If oh, it sure. Is, right. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, I mean, and I think that that's an assumption I don't think that I know for sure to make. And this isn't mm-hmm. an ESPN thing, and it isn't, it's just a decision-making thing where somebody thinks, hey, isn't it a great idea, too? I mean, you know, we were both at the Final Four, so we were watching the games in person and not necessarily watching coverage. But obviously, Dak Prescott, who's a Mississippi State alum, mm-hmm. was there and was organically, genuinely thrilled, excited, and enthusiastic about what was happening with the Mississippi State women. And he got a lot of camera time. Yeah. And that's great, because I think that people can be excited to watch him get excited, in it. And, and there was so much excitement around that whole situation. Um, but in a post-game interview with the player who just won the game, that Prescott's there was arm around her dominating the conversation. Right, right. Uh, it, you know, and- there's just... There are those frustrations for those. Those are frustrations for me that it takes that there's somehow this, you know, there has to be because what it, whether it's intended to or not, and I don't think ESPN again intends to do that, and I don't think, it, it, but it's this idea that are you creating a stamp of approval right. that somehow feels like it's necessary so that somebody else can decide that they like women's basketball, but so. Yes, and it's so frustrating, and it's endless. And you talked about the way the WNBA seeks this out as well, but, you know, what they've studied and, and what I think is clearly the case is all right, we both believe there should be an expanded audience for the women's game. And right. every time that is not treated as important by that group of people, there is a group of people within the media that you said, like, it's not even a question of, you know, they think about bringing Kelsey Plum to the NBA draft or, or, or the like, or, 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 or if they had done it with Brand Stewart last year. And then somebody says, no, let's not do that. Like, it doesn't even come up. It's not in the realm of conversation in the way that you go to any number of sports sites and you have to search high and low just to find women's basketball on the sites that they're not integrated into the overall sports conversation. And so I I think there's a way in which that validation, it doesn't just serve for fans, to my mind. It serves to as a prompt for the media. You know, I, I, I go back to the experience I had at the time that UConn won their 100th consecutive game. When ESPN made that a big deal, and across platforms, and not just within their women's basketball coverage, suddenly you saw it popping up lots of other places. Suddenly it became bigger. Right. And, and and I think these are cues that uh, in, in a pack mentality, which so much of sports media is, need to, need to take place. And uh, they shouldn't. And it's absurd that we're fighting this battle and we're having this conversation in 2017. But I think it's useful because there's there's a... There's an audience out there that is just not even aware of it because it's not brought to their attention. Right. Well, and because, I mean, let's face it, we're, fa- you know, we are, the media now is, you know, there are more aggregators out there than there are generators of mm-hmm. content and news. So, yes, you're right. So, you've got, you know, so it, things are quickly and easily picked up and spread any number of places. I don't, you know, and I guess my frustration, the argument that I would make is, you know, I understand that I think it's frustrating and it may be necessary and both things can be true. 
Right. Right. So, you know, I mean, I think it's frustrating that it needs to be true. You know, for there's been a long time. Let's talk about the number of times that somebody has interviewed a young women's basketball player, whether she's about to become a WNBA player, she's in the college space, whatever. And they ask, who do you pattern your game after? And how many times have those young women named an NBA player exactly. rather than a Diana Taurasi or Elena Deladon or Swin Cash or whoever, right? Mm-hmm. You know, so... So even, you know, so young women watch the NBA, and it's actually, I mean, people will tell you that they're shocked at how few college coaches and college women's players watch the WNBA. And for some of these players, some, it is the league that they are about to endeavor to enter, and they don't watch. Right. They don't right. pay attention. They don't follow it. But They don't follow it maybe until, so... But I you mean, know what? So Can I just speak to that point? Because it's yeah. it, like, yes, it's absolutely true. I, I was sitting with Kelsey Mitchell earlier this year, and she said what, what a lot of these players have said, which is, in essence, they grow up watching the NBA. And then when do they pick it up? When Okay, in a couple of years, they're about to enter the professional ranks. So suddenly, all right, well, this could be my career, and that's the point in which they engage. But, but also the question is, why is that? Well, and they're... The argument that I think makes me most frustrated is when uh, women are attacked for not properly supporting women's sports. You know, that, you know, for men, men somehow did a pass. I, I don't know why. And then women somehow, well, it's their fault because if they just paid closer attention to the WNBA or the NWSL or anything else, that women's sports would be self-sufficient. As, as if... The idea is that women get their media from some different place, that there's some like secret society of women that can pass messages between themselves and that they're not getting media coverage and sports media coverage from the same places that men do, so that when a small fraction of 1% of the coverage is devoted to women's basketball, women aren't going to be able to follow it just the same way that men aren't. Right, but here's, but I'm gonna, and I'm going to counter that argument just a little in the sense mm-hmm. that, <clears throat> you know, having spent a long time working for ESPN and ESPNW and just talking and having them talk with people, and this isn't state secrets or anything, but right. the demographics, when demographics say women want to see women's sports covered, mm-hmm. women want to see women's sports stories told, but aren't necessarily interested in reading them, that is the point at which you bang your head repeatedly on the table right. and say, well... You know who you know the reality of the reality of our business. What you you know what you and I do and how we do it and who we work for and how much time we are able to devote to coverage. While in some cases, and we know a ton of people who are working other jobs and yeah. doing this as a side thing, whatever, right? Is <clears throat> a reflection of the fact that coverage isn't prioritized. And we've done this, and you and I've already right. done this conversation, and we could do it again for hours. But you know. I, so I guess my, you know, what I would like to see from women, from people who support women's sports, is an understanding of the connection that if you don't support it by participating in it, by being a consumer of it, it can't exist. You can't just want it to exist because it seems like it's the right thing mm-hmm. to have the WNBA be covered or women's soccer or whatever. I mean, obviously we're talking about basketball mostly here, but you know, right. we could say this about a broad range of women's sports. Oh, sure. You can't just say we should cover it. It's not a charity. Right. It's not, you know, it's not a nonprofit. But it, 
you but know. So think, and, about and what, so think about what you're, what we're saying with that, because it's absolutely true. But we're talking about banging your head against the wall, and, I, and I'm with you. I'm absolutely with you. But you, we're asking in this case, all right, that that polling goes out to a 30-year-old woman, a 40-year-old woman, who has, for her entire life, lived in a media culture where it hasn't been accessible, she did not grow up with it. I mean, how do people become sports fans? Typically, and, and the research I've seen on this is people become sports fans, generally speaking, most passionately between the ages of six and nine. Well, if we are living in this culture where that doesn't happen, it's the difference between picking up a foreign language when you are very young and trying to pick it up as an adult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. I, I know I, I understand what you're saying. I guess it's just I'm still operating sort of on a global level of frustration that I think that, you know, again, going back to my point, which is we can be frustrated by all these things. You can want to bang your head against the wall. And they're still all true. And we still have to grow a business. Yeah. And we still have to grow a sport. And we still have to try and bring many as many people into the tent as possible. And I'm not at all saying, by the way, that I'm interested in the interest of male sports fans from WNBA. Of course, I'd never be saying that. Mm -hmm. But I, what I'm saying is that I think that, you know, sometimes we really force that. And it feels very forced. And I think that that's sort of, it feels, you know, it, it feels unfair to the women who I think have earned respect not had it sort of thrust upon you know had yes. sort of had it thrust upon the the marketplace um you know i mean having you know having somebody have to tell you you know like i love the watch me work campaign for wmba i mean i think it's Same. a great concept i also think watch me work is just it's as a woman, and as somebody who knows how fabulous they are, I wish that we didn't have to do this. I wish we didn't have to sell it like that. Yes, what a spe that you have to have a special <laughs> plea instead of, guess what, here's a privilege. You get to see them, <laughs> you know, not, right. not, hey, watch me work. No, I, I know, I know, and 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 the, the level of frustration And I get stuck in that space. I do. I get yeah. stuck in that space. I get, I, I get stuck in that space where has somebody who's followed the game who, you know, the women's game obviously really closely and things. I mean, I think that there are more people. I've had a ton of people ask me about ha how the Final Four went and, you know, what I think about UConn losing and whatever. A lot of people watched. A yeah. lot of people watched that Mississippi State win and watched UConn not win and watched, you know, and even the South Carolina stuff with Don Staley. I've had a lot of people who I wouldn't necessarily have thought were going to ask me about it. I knew the people who would. And then there were a lot of people who – just have asked me about it, and I think that's fantastic. And, and, and notice, fantastic. by the way, I, I'm sorry, yeah. no, no, I, I was just going to say, notice that the final, so UConn, you could argue, is the reason why the semifinal broke through the way it did, and the idea of a Goliath being knocked off. And that happened in part, and the reason why that broke through, in my opinion, is that UConn was so dominant that it, it gained the attention of some people that probably wouldn't have covered if it was Texas A&M, but then that had a carryover effect. And that Mississippi State-South Carolina final, I believe the ratings were up 20% year over year. Right. Yes. So, so it's, right. it, I mean, it's enormously significant, but the 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 again you go back to the validation right and again we're talking about well there's men well there's women to me it's not let's not even divide it by gender there's how media commonly thinks about it i think many people in the media commonly think about it as there's a circle of men's sports fans and then within that circle there's a smaller circle 
who are willing to watch women's sports as well. And it's thought of as willing. It's thought of in those terms. It's open to it. Right. And I don't believe that to be the case. And I think there are any number of instances that support it. I believe there is a circle of people who are watching men's sports. There is a circle of people that are watching women's sports. And then there is, in a Venn diagram right in the middle, there are people who watch both. And there are people who watch women's sports, who care about women's sports. And again, if you go based on that team, uh, that I spoke to, it's a relatively small uh, circle that are watching men's and women's. For the most part, they're primarily interested in women's sports. And there is a absolutely a group of people who watch men's sports who you'll never get to watch women's sports for a variety of reasons. But the totality, where that, where that combination is, well, when Fox covered the 2015 Women's World Cup, and I always go to this example, because Fox had every reason to cover the Women's World Cup like it mattered in the same way that men's sports matter to media all the time. They had to prove they could cover a World Cup effectively, and they went out and they did it. And so suddenly, Alex Morgan's on The Simpsons, and American Idol, and there was cross-promotion, and it was everywhere. And not only did you see the biggest audience in soccer history for the final, which, you know, men or women, but you saw, I, I mean, the number that I will never forget is you had over a million fans watching Brazil-China in a group game on a Tuesday afternoon. That's what happens right. when women's sports is promoted the way men's sports is. But more to the point, that's what happens when women's sports is promoted to the audience that extends beyond women's sports and it becomes less of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You only promote to the people who already watch. You're only going to get the people that already watch. So when Kelsey Plum has a, a year statistically that is comparable to Steph Curry, and by the way, comparable to, to Steph Curry in a way that it's not comparable to anyone recently who came before him. Like I went back to look at this because I had, I had a writer write a piece and say, you know, who are the comps for Kelsey Plum? Well, Kelsey Plum, if you go to Synergy, and it was one of my favorite things to do, she averaged 1.207 points per possession. So she was <laughs> equivalent to what Brianna Stewart did her senior year at UConn, 1.208. But obviously, they're not comps. They couldn't be more different as players. Rachel right. Bannum had the ridiculous senior year at, at, at Minnesota, uh, the year before, before she gets picked fourth overall by the Sun. Okay, well, Bannum's the first one I go to. Bannum was elite from three. Kelsey Plum was significantly better. She was elite getting to the basket. Kelsey Plum was like 58% from the field uh, from twos. Kelsey Plum is a better free throw shooter. Kelsey Plum had a higher assist percentage. Rachel Bannum, with this amazing year, and this take nothing away from her, was at 1.03 points per possession. So amazing. Absolutely a points machine. Not in the same category as Kelsey Plum. This is, she, was, she just did something nobody has ever done before on the women's side. And so comparing her to Steph, for a host of NBA fans who ought to know about it, and for reasons that have nothing to do with, in many ways, uh, um, chauvinism, that have nothing to do in many ways with anything other than this, is, this stuff just isn't out there. How often was Kelsey even on, on national TV? I, I had to watch Kelsey right. by, you know, mirroring the Pac-12 network to my TV and, you know, straining to keep my <laughs> eyes open because, you know, you guys on the West Coast, you know, start things crazy late for the East Coast. And it's, you know, in, infuriating. But I, I get it. I understand. But, you know, it, it's it's just a way to access. And everyone should because 
I felt, just for me personally, I covered them both in college. So when I walked away from watching Kelsey Plum for the first time, I was gushing. I was telling everyone I know, oh my God, you have to see her play. And when I walk, and when I got home, or I was on my way home, I still remember this to this day, after seeing Steph Curry for the first time at Davidson, he was at Madison Square mm-hmm. Garden, I called a real good friend of mine and said, I just saw our generation's Pete Maravich. And that was the you know, and that was the comparison that I made. And so it's that kind of eye opening thing. That's what it feels like to me. And that's where it feels like, all right, that's coming from an amazing place, but it should go both directions. So if someone comes along in the men's game who can do what Kelsey Plum does, I want to be able to say that he is the Kelsey Plum of this year's NBA draft. And it's something I plan and, to do. I don't know how many people will do and that. And you will say that, and you will say that because you know both games right. and you will say that because you've gone to the effort to pay attention and you've gone to the effort to make the comparisons or read the comparisons or whatever and you will say that right. and but i don't know who you know but i don't know who else is right gonna, I, well, but, you I, know i don't have yeah, go you ahead, know, statistical comparison no i was going to say yeah. i mean like i love all that i've had people you know i had people say we want more analytics in women's basketball like the stories are great but let's talk about you know, let's talk analytics. Let's right. do. Let's Schubert break it down that. the way we do, right? Yes. I. I mean, I think that those are great ideas, and I think that's a separate concept from. I think that's a separate concept from these sort of forced endorsements, or these sort of you know again. Well, but but I mean, they, I get, they getting, get lumped in, right? I mean, it's it's all right. I mean, it's the idea that you and I have in mind because we've seen it, right? Of this this guy from some network TV station who shows up because it's the playoffs or there's all the men's teams are off. So he shows up and he's right. asking yeah. you or he's asking me, hey, what can you tell me about the favorite, you know, about the best player on the team? Or the question gets asked in the press conference. This is my, my favorite question that get asked, gets asked in a press conference in women's basketball is, if somebody didn't follow your team all year, how would you describe your team? <laughs> that's my favorite one. Yeah. I mean, there are a lot of them like yeah. that, but that's my favorite one. And yeah. so there are, but it, it gets lumped in together. And, and with good reason, right? It gets lumped in together because how frustrating is that every time you're trying to stake out that territory, that we're trying to expand the way people are thinking about the women's game. But, okay, you know, are we doing it with that North Star of like it is in relation to a man? And that's an, inf- look, that's a, that's a bigger picture conversation than even sports media. You know, that's a, that's right. a societal right. conversation. But there, that is epically frustrating. But this one basketball, I mean, look, it's, it's no different than the idea of Becky Hammond going from the WNBA to coaching with the Spurs. You know, it's no different than in terms of... So I was talking to Carol Lawson about this. And Carol Lawson, back uh, in her early professional career, she comes out of, out of Tennessee. So, my God, like you played point guard for Pat Summit. I, there's no better training, arguably, to being a coach of any basketball team on the planet. And the Sacramento Kings wouldn't let her do what Hammond ended up doing with the Spurs and sit in on practice and try and train and learn. And, uh, you know, there's a real issue and a real question and a limitation of opportunity. And I think every time we draw a red line between men's basketball and women's basketball, that's going to continue because there are going to be more and more men who want to coach the women's game. 
And so, right. well, you know, we were in Dallas. We were talking to Tara about, you know, what, what Gino said about, you know, well, women didn't really want to coach, and that was problematic for a whole host He's of He's totally wrong, by the way. Oh, absolutely. Right. I, I, I mean, it is 100% what Tara said and what Dawn said, and there was no, no question about it. It's about opportunity. Well, okay, as more and more men want to coach in the women's game, that's not a bad thing necessarily because that suggests that there are more and more good opportunities and good coaching chances and more and more women's programs that are willing to pay. But what has to happen, what has to happen in order for this to be a truly level playing field is we need to see those women getting an opportunity on the men's side. What, that there is right. one basketball. That when Georgetown, and it's funny, I'm going to talk to Brenda Fries about this in a little bit for an upcoming podcast. But when Georgetown's men's head coaching job opened up, well, gee, 30 minutes up the road, you had an unbelievably successful coach who uh, has led her team to a national championship. But there would have been, it, it would have been epic the reaction if Brenda was in that conversation or brought in for an interview. And that's crazy. Right. Because why not? Because why are we not right. crossing over back and forth and making sure that women are having opportunities in 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 both of these realms? Right. Which is why when somebody like Gino says something, like he said, which was, you know, and Gino's a thoughtful guy and an advocate for women. So, again, I'm not going to knock Gino for what he's done for the game or what he's done for women in the right, game. Right. But, you know, the moment that he said, the moment that he opened that statement by saying it's as simple as this, women have other opportunities. First of all, it's not even close to being that simple. Not mm -hmm. even close. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and second of all, it was sort of an intellectually lazy argument for somebody who's not generally intellectually lazy when it comes to these things. Yeah, I thought it was sort of flipping on his part, and it wasn't his, but, you know, it certainly wasn't his best argument, but it was, you know, but it was has to be countered by the women who are living in that space and saying, look, half of the jobs in basketball are not available to us. Right. So when, you know, when men's coaches decide that they feel like there's an opportunity for them in women's basketball and men, male athletic directors are comfortable hiring men, then the space starts to shrink for us even more, and that's not okay. No, and, and you know, I, I think... <laughs> It was hard to hear Gino's full comments there over the sound of like everyone's foreheads being slapped in the media side of things as it was happening. Uh, and I yeah. agree with you; it was not not a typical thing. But yeah, from from my mind, uh, there, there's a, um, a an ignorant uh, sports radio talk show host uh, named Mike Francesa here in New York, uh, who was complaining about the idea that women. Uh, could ever be coaching men. And so the thing I've done for fun when I start to get frustrated about that is I try to picture Francesa lasting five minutes in a Cheryl Reeve practice. And that's been really helpful <laughs> for me. That's that's what's allowed me to go through. It's, it's, a, very, through it. it's a very good visual. But you know, it's, it's interesting a good coping what, these two conversations, what these conversations yeah. have in common is that women are operating in a, with a smaller piece of the pie in a smaller space. Yes. And when when men's you know, when men start encroaching in that space, mm -hmm. whether it's having, you know, whether it's attention, media coverage, somebody showing up at the WNBA draft, um, comparisons with men's players because it's, you know, so when you've got this tiny little space and people can't even give you that tiny little space right. from which to operate and grow your game and, you know, and earn the respect that you deserve and, what you know, without having to bring, you know, a male comparison or a male something into that space. I think it's just genuinely frustrating for 
for us to watch. And so, I think so can I, but so then the question is, because you're right, the two are inextricably linked. The question is, does doing that allow the game to A, drill faster, and B, to turn what's kind of this moat between the men's and women's game into something that allows for better crossover? By which I mean, there's a whole host of people who absolutely think of this as something apart. And, and you see it in its ugliest form in social media responses whenever there's a men's sure. basketball uh, Twitter feed, a men's basketball site, and, and women's <coughs> basketball is covered. There's, there's right. always that, you know, that automatic response. Sure. But that automatic response, it comes from an ugly place, but it also comes from a place where, all right, if 300 stories are about men's basketball and 301 is about women's basketball, and then 302 through 600 is about the men, yeah, that's going to be jarring to somebody who's covering it because it's going to seem abnormal. Yeah, I know. And it's, and it's, and again, I think I'm operating from the space of both things can, two things can both be true. It can be frustrating and it may be, you know, and it may be helpful ultimately to grow the game. But it is, but it's just hard to watch sometimes and it's hard to experience sometimes you know, as someone who's covered women's basketball, as a woman, as, you know, I mean, it's just, I want, I want people to appreciate Maya more. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, and it really, when we talk about, you know, like, we've talked about a lot of, you know, we've talked about Kelsey Plum and Brianna Stewart and Elena Deladon and whatever. And I go back to, you know, careers of people now, like Maya. And, you know, who talks about Maya? And... And yeah. why aren't they? Yeah. Oh my God! Yeah. And you know, you should come and, hang out at my house. But you're right. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, but there's, you know, I just want, I just want so much. And this is the idealist part of me. And I, re- and idealism doesn't sell tickets. And idealize, idealism doesn't grow a league and get sponsors. And it doesn't. I mean, you know, it's, you know, and WNBA's talked a long time about we're not a cause, we're a business, and they're right. And you know, but the idealism in me says. Because women are extraordinary, and I want somebody to appreciate them for that, rather than having them to say they're extraordinary because they're just like so and so, or you know their game is great because it because it looks like so and so. But if that's a point of familiarity for people, and that's an entree point for somebody to have appreciation for a women's basketball that they didn't have before, that is sort of something I think that we're going to have to live with. But I mean, we also play the comp game women to women and men to men. And we do it for a lot of reasons even beyond that. I mean, all of that is exactly right, in my opinion. And But we do, it's what scouting departments do. You know, it's, you're trying to project who this player is going to be. You're trying to say, well, who's a player like that, that player in five years? And so Maya, and, and interestingly, my, my Maya comp to me is, is to meet the catchings, but Maya is a better offensive player, you know, in terms of her uh, shot efficiency. But defensively, I think they do a lot of the same things in a lot of the same way. So that's a real easy comp to make. But with Maya Moore, just like anyone else, it's how do you try and get a sense of who is she like that came before? What can you expect from her going forward? And then putting her in historical context. I think all of those things matter. I think historical context with someone like Maya Moore, who is a true outlier in terms of her level of success, in terms of her level of play, is something vitally important to 
broadening the appreciation of my amour, right? So I don't think right, you can right. necessarily separate one from the other. I don't think you should. And and it, it's like with Catch, right? So to me, Detachings was not just, if you go to the numbers, arguably the best player in the history of the league. She was by far, by the numbers, the most valuable player in the history of the league. So you go by, there's the stat win shares that I love to go back to. She is worth 92.8 win shares in her career. So she is the leader <laughs> offensively and defensively. The next highest player in the history of the W is Lauren Jackson at 72. So she's something like right. 24% better than anyone, than a three-time MVP, than anyone in the history of the league. And so when we're talking about Tamika Catchings, I have this informal editorial policy at the summit where I say if we, you know, we had Catchings was hired by, you know, the Fever, the Pacers, and the Mad Ants this week to uh, be in the front office for all three. But the informal policy in a is shock, like, In a shocking development. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Who could have seen this coming? And so, you know, as part of that, I, I, I urge the writer to mention this because in the same way that it's baked into how everyone talks about Michael Jordan. If you're talking about NBA right. stuff, like it's understood. I don't think it's understood about Catchings. And I go back to right. even covering her, her, her playoff run in 2015. I remember her coming to the Garden. And that place being, media-wise, pretty empty. And I was there to do a big uh, Tamika Catchings feature because I had uh, an open-minded editor, not because I had an editor who sent me. I had an editor where I said, hey, this is important. And that editor said, good, go do it. It wasn't understood. And if those comps are not readily accessible, women to women, men to men, men to women, I think you lose historical context. And I think it's problematic in terms of being able to properly appreciate Maya, who, quite frankly, I saw at the Jordan Classic last week, and we, we got to catch up and have a conversation about it. But Maya Moore being there was a really big deal for a lot of people who know the game. Yeah. No, I know. And, and you know, and honestly, it just, it, it, it makes me, you know, I've heard, you know, Kelsey talk about how, you know, she's had long conversations with Sue Bird. That makes my heart sing. Mm-hmm. Those are the people I want to hear her, ha- I want you know, I want to hear Kelsey Plum say she wants to, you know, that she wants to talk to Sue Bird and wants to find out what made Sue Bird successful. Right. And I want somebody to talk, say they, you know, they want to emulate Maya. And Monique Billings at UCLA telling me how many times she's been on the phone with the Agumake sisters because she wants to pattern her game against them. It's what I want. It's, yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it's just, you know, I mean, I mean, we could do, we could do this for hours, right? <laughs> I mean, we could, and just yeah. say, and we would come back to the same place, which right. is, yes, I and, want, I want women to be appreciated in the women's space for what they do, generally speaking. But I understand that having to bring men into that space in terms of comparison, in terms of appreciation, and I love it when Kobe and LeBron and James Harden and all of those guys show appreciation because I really think it's genuine. I don't mm-hmm. think this WNBA is dragging any of these guys in front of a camera to no say question. things about their counterparts. I think that those guys know. They bring it up to those me. Guys the guys who know I cover the W bring it up know. to me. It, 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 those guys yeah. know. They are passionate so about let's it. You make see it the feel, let's make it feel organic. Let's make it feel like what it is. Yes. Rather I, than sort of jamming it in and making it seem like it you know, it's an it's some sort of an endorsement that is more forced than that, or that, you know, I mean, let's let's play up some of this organic appreciation. If you really want to 
tell men's basketball fans that these guys truly appreciate women's basketball players, mm-hmm. then let's let's do it. And so yes to all of that. And I would add, in addition to, I want to hear Kelsey have that conversation with Sue Bird. I want to hear Monique Billings have that conversation with the Ogwumike sisters. Here's what I want. I want a college men's player to talk about reaching out to a women's player. I want it to be a fully even playing field. I think we need to get to the point where that is common, not just mm-hmm. a rare thing, not just uh, accessible occasionally. But I think that, and, and this is just the ultimate, this is the long-term goal. You have full parity on the media side, and you have full parity, and you have, a, you have one basketball that is 100% appreciated all the way around, because it, it's how I see it. And I don't know if that's necessarily everybody's goal, and I don't know whether that's the right thing, but that, at this moment in time, seems to me like the best thing we could be hoping for. Well, I'll drink to that, Howard. <laughs> well, Michelle, <laughs> for, for you to get up at the crack of dawn and have a conversation with me is always appreciated, and I, I, I just always love talking to you. So thank you so much for being part of this conversation and uh, for thinking this through with me. Thanks, Howard. I appreciate it. And just a reminder to our listeners, you can go ahead and follow us on Twitter at LockedOnWBB. You can like us on Facebook and go ahead and rate and review us on iTunes, your podcast listen of choice. Make sure you check out the summit. We are in our first month. Uh, Some stories about Kelsey Plum, actually, as a matter of fact, on the site this morning. SummitHoops.com. Find us in all the usual spaces as well. I am Howard Meddahl wishing you a wonderful day.